as we're coming to the end of our studies in Mark's Gospel, we have finished now with the main body of the Gospel. So what you have in chapter 16 from verse 9 to the end of the chapter is like an appendix that Mark wrote. And all he does here is sum up, after Jesus rose from the dead, three appearances, right, of the risen Saviour. So let's read about two of them. Verse 9 down to verse 13. The third appearance is appearing to the 11 disciples and giving them the commission to preach the gospel. But we're going to note this morning the first two appearances. So verse 9, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. His first appearance was to Mary Magdalene. Mark just summarizes what we're given details of in the Gospel of John. And since we looked at that on Easter Sunday morning, there is no point in looking at that again. It was only a few weeks ago. The second appearance that again Mark only sums up is what we had in our reading from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus appearing to two disciples that were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a distance of seven miles. Now we have looked at this in the past, but it was a few years ago. So let us look at this second appearance of Jesus Christ because I believe it is most relevant to you and me gathered together here this morning. Now, we're only given the name in Luke of one of the two that was walking to Emmaus. He was called Cleopas. Cleopas. In John, Cleopas is mentioned as the brother of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. Right? So that makes Cleopas Jesus' earthly uncle. And Jesus would have been Cleopas' nephew. I think I've got that right. So there's a family link here. And these two are not just disappointed as they are walking to Emmaus. We mentioned last Sunday, Mary, the two Mary, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph. They were utterly devastated. They were in spiritual darkness because they had put their trust in Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah, the one God had promised and had sent to save them. And now he was dead and their hope was completely gone. 
Well, here are two men. One of them, Jesus' uncle, he'd put his trust in this nephew of his. And now he is gone. They are utterly disillusioned. And we can imagine them, can't we? Walking. You know when people are really down and are struggling, you can tell from their walk, they're shuffling along. And as the two of them are going towards Emmaus, another man comes. They don't recognize him as Jesus, and he joins with them. And what I want us to look at this morning is the way Jesus shows himself to these two and deals with them. Now, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know whether you're a Christian or not. But maybe you are feeling a bit like these two who are walking to Emmaus. Maybe you are depressed. There's a lot of it around today, especially because of lockdown. Maybe you have become disillusioned, not just with life in general, but even with the Christian life. And what we all need is Jesus Christ to come near to us. That's what Christianity is. Jesus Christ showing himself, manifesting himself. Now, let's look at how he does this. Now, look at the way he deals with these two. We're going to be looking at Luke 24 for most of the message this morning rather than Mark chapter 16. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke 24. What does Jesus do? He gets them to open up. So let me read from the accounts. So it was, verse 15, while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Verse 17, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? He realizes their states and instead of brushing them off and just ignoring them, he asks them, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? My friends, aren't you relieved this morning that we have a saviour in Jesus Christ that is human? He doesn't just come up to us and uh, tell us, as it were, to pull ourselves together. He listens to us. He wants us to open up and to talk to him. Uh, it's not just here that this happens if you look, for example, at the Psalms in the Old Testament, uh, you will have men like David and Asaph open their hearts to God, even complain to him. Because we have a God who loves to hear the heart cry of people. He doesn't want a mask on you and me. That's often what religiosity does. It causes us to wear a mask. We hide how we feel. Oh, my friends, you can be honest with Jesus Christ this morning. 
and he, he lets them speak. We don't know if it's Cleopas who's uh, doing the speaking. Uh, so uh, he feigns ignorance. Uh, what things? Verse 19. And they say, are you the only one in Jerusalem that hasn't heard the news? Haven't you been reading the newspaper this morning? It's been headline news about Jesus of Nazareth. How this man who claimed to be the Messiah had a large following and how he was put to death and it's now all come to an end. Haven't you been reading the news? The irony here, of course, is that it's these two who didn't really realize what was going on. Jesus knew full well what was happening. These two didn't realize that, as he said throughout the gospel, the Messiah had to die, but then after three days be risen from the dead. They were ignorant of that. Jesus knew exactly what was happening. Everything had been going according to his father's plan. But he still gets them to open up. He wants to hear them. He wants them to share their doubts, to be honest about their fears. Uh, here is how one commentator puts it. How loving it was for Jesus, having journeyed from Galilee and entered Jerusalem as king and be crucified and be risen from the dead, to travel back with two of his disciples down the road of their disillusionments and then listen to all their doubts. Jesus shows us the same kindness. He will overtake us along life's road falling into stride with our sorrow and confusion. Oh, my friends, what a wonderful person Jesus Christ is. I don't know what kind of road you're walking down this moment. Maybe you, as I said at the start, are like these two on the road to Emmaus. You're walking on a dark path. Maybe it's not because of uh, dejection or disillusionment. Maybe it's because of some other things. But my friend, Jesus can overtake you on that road. And he overtakes not to show that he's stronger than you, but he overtakes so that you can meet with him. And even if you don't recognize him at first, he wants you to open up to him. That's the kind of savior we have this morning. I just want to urge every one of us here to get rid of the veneer and just to say to Jesus, how we are. Let me mention one word here. It's a very interesting word. Verse 25, he uses the word foolish ones. Oh, foolish ones. Somebody will say, well, pastor, that shows that he's harsh. Isn't he saying to these two, how stupid you are? Oh, no, no, no. The mood of this word in the original 
conveys tenderness, tenderness. So what he's saying, you know what we say in Welsh about people who don't get it? We just say to them, how can you be so tough, you know? Oh, there's nothing hard about that. And this is what Jesus is saying to these two. Oh, how can you be so tough? So that's the first thing he does. He simply gets them to talk. May we be people who open up to the Lord. I remember uh, one of our elders, before he was an elder, many, many years ago, uh, he had a problem and he went to see our pastor, then Mr. Hyam, and all Mr. Hyam said to him was, have you shared it with the Lord? Have you shared it with the Lord? That's what these two are doing. Then the next thing that Jesus does is what? Does he say to these two, look, here am I. It's me. I'm risen. T touch me if you want. That's what we would have done. But Jesus doesn't do that. And maybe somebody here this morning would think, well, if I had the risen, physical saviour with me, then I would uh, be transformed like these two. But my friend, Jesus did not show them his physical resurrected body. What did he do? Oh, foolish ones, verse 25, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What did he do? He didn't take them to his physical presence. He took them to the word, which is what we're doing this morning. And what did he do with the word? And they only had the Old Testament. We've got the Old and the New Testament, so we are in an even more privileged position. What did he do? He showed them one thing. Himself. So instead of saying, look, here am I, I'm risen, he said, here's the word of God, the scriptures, and these are about one person, Jesus Christ. What a privilege to have the word incarnate, that's who Jesus is, the word made flesh, to have the word made flesh open up the written word. And what's the written word about? It's about himself. You, you can't escape Jesus Christ in the Bible. When I first became a Christian, I thought that if I started reading the Bible in Genesis, that I could just work my way through. Has anybody else tried that? Genesis was great. Because you had all these interesting accounts of Abraham and Jacob and Joseph. And then Exodus was good to begin with. But then halfway through Exodus, 
things got very difficult. Because you had the sacrifices, the animals that were put to death. And as Tony mentioned in the announcement, the blood and the washings. And then the priest with all his clothes. And then the tabernacle. And then if you managed to get to the end of Exodus as I did, things got even harder after that because you were into Leviticus. And that's when I gave up. And I went back to the Gospel of John. But the thing was, I'd forgotten the keys. What's the key that opens the whole of the Scriptures? It is what Jesus Christ is using here as he opens the word to these two. He's explaining the things concerning himself. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning at Moses, that is uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books, beginning in Genesis, he went through the Old Testament and he used the key to open it up. What's the key? He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Have you used the key? You can't understand the Bible without Christ. Maybe the Old Testament is an interesting book of the histories of kings and queens. Maybe the New Testament is interesting in the Gospels because you have the life of Jesus. But then when you get to the epistles, it's more difficult. The doctrine and the practicality of the Christian life, what unlocks that? The Lord Jesus Christ. We haven't got time to look at it, but imagine Jesus Christ going through all those passages in the Old Testament and explaining them, explaining them. Have you ever been to uh, Tintin in the Y Valley? Beautiful, beautiful part of the country. You've got many paths and many old sunken lanes. They're bridle paths now around Tintin. They're like a maze. But you know what? A lot of those bridle paths and footpaths, they all converge on Tintin Abbey. They would have been used by, by the monks when the abbey was functioning. So it doesn't matter which path you're on. It doesn't matter how uh, difficult the path may be. Eventually, it'll take you to Tintin Abbey. And it's like that with the Bible. All the paths of Scripture, however difficult they may seem at first, Take us to Jesus Christ. And there's one thing about Jesus Christ in particular. Verse 26. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things before entering into his glory? What did the Savior expound concerning himself in the Bible? Yes, he expounded the fact that God was promising a Messiah that it wasn't just a human being, but the Son of God. Yes, he was waxing eloquently about that. The God-man, that is a glorious truth. But what he was really getting to was this. 
that this Messiah had to suffer, even though that was an offense to the Jewish people. How can the Messiah, the anointed one, how can God's son be put to death in such an ignominious manner? But that had to happen because it was through that death that salvation was to come to you and to me. It's Christ on the cross that gives us hope. Christ as the Son of God, even Christ incarnate, even Christ preaching, Christ performing miracles. He's no use to us. In one sense, he condemns us even more because in his dazzling purity, our sinful filth comes to light more and more. But give me Christ on the cross and hope lights up in my heart because the spotless Lamb of God that all the Old Testament was prophesying of is now dying not for his own sins but for your sins and mine. And he was risen because God the Father accepted that sacrifice. He says one thing here as he's opening up the Bible concerning himself and himself crucified in particular. He says one thing, doesn't he? Verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe, to believe. That's what you and I have to do with this crucified, risen Christ, to believe in him, not just to believe about him. That's uh, just historical faith. You need to know a certain amount of facts about him. Not just to believe that it is true. Even the devils believe that. But to appropriate him. To take him as your own Lord and Savior. That's what to believe means. I've used this example before. There's an old gospel song. I like the version sung by Johnny Cash. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? Well, of course I wasn't there. How could I have been there? It was 2,000 years ago. But in one sense, we are not there either with the physical resurrected Christ, are we? Because that was something that happened 2,000 years ago. But we can be there with Christ when we find him in the word. And we can be there on Calvary's hill. How? By faith. Because if you transfer your sin to Jesus Christ, you are there in a very real sense. You are more there than all the spectators were. Because your sin was on him. And he tasted death for you. He went to the depths of hell for you. You were really there. I think it's Bono who sang with B.B. King, I was there when they crucified my Lord. Not physically, but my soul was there. Can you say that? I was there. My sin caused him that grief. And you know what? I praise him for it. 
Can you say that? Thank God that he died. Thank God that the spotless Lamb of God didn't just go through this life. Thank God his life was ended as it did. Because that's my hope. Without it, I'm lost. I'm lost. Guilty. Vile. That means unclean. Horrible. Helpless. I can't do anything about it. We. Spotless Lamb of God is He. Full atonement. Atonement. He brings us together. You and I with God. He reconciles us, makes us right. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, yes, it can be. Hallelujah, what a saviour. And then there's one other thing. So Jesus lets them talk. Be honest with Jesus Christ. Be honest with him this morning. Tell him uh, that you are trying to believe, if that's the case. Lord, I believe. Help mine unbelief. Tell him your struggles. And then go to the word and ask him to show himself in the word by his spirit and put your trust in him. Put your complete weight upon him. And then there's one more thing. They drew near to Emmaus and he feigned that he was going further. He indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him. They put pressure on him. They say, stay with us, because it's late. And he went in to stay with them. Do you know what? It is faith that saves. But it's possible to know Jesus Christ in an intimate way, you know? It's possible. Uh, this is how I think Spurgeon puts it. I like this. Um, Spurgeon says, Jesus Christ is a guest worth putting pressure on to stay with us. Have you ever had somebody special stay with you? Listen, you can have Jesus Christ come into your heart and you can know him in an intimate way. It's significant that once they were in the house and they broke bread, Jesus blessed the bread and then they realized who it was. And the moment they realized, he disappeared because it's not his physical presence that they needed. They had seen him with the eye of faith. But then this is how they put it. Verse 32. They said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Oh, it is possible to know Christ as you know another person, not physically, but he can give you that sense of his presence in your hearts. 
you know, it's possible to know a felt Christ. Uh, this is what one person said about true Christianity. True religion is more than notion, more than head knowledge. Something, or to put it more correctly, someone must be known and felt. There was a, a very clever man who lived many centuries ago, a Frenchman called Blaise Pascal, a great philosopher, very clever man. And one day, he had an experience. He was a Christian, and he had an experience. November 23rd, 1654. It was such a profound experience, he wrote about it on a piece of paper, and then it was so sacred, he, I think if I'm right, he sewed the piece of paper inside the lining of his suit. They discovered it after he died. And these are the words he wrote down on that piece of paper. Fire, fire, joy, 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 tears of joy, scribbled hurriedly. This profound sense of Christ's presence. Jesus Christ, written several times like signatures on a letter. Can you see what's happening to him? Like these two, as Jesus is opening the word concerning himself. Oh, he is manifesting himself. He's opening the curtain a bit uh, to himself in uh, their hearts, in Pascal's heart, and his heart is just burning. He's overwhelmed. That's what's happened to the people on the day of Pentecost. Uh, this is the age we're living in now, the age of the Spirit. How does Jesus Christ reveal himself? He reveals himself in the Word, in the Bible, but the Spirit can take the things of the Word and not just make us alive in Christ, but he can make Christ alive to us, so that it's possible to have intimate, intimate knowledge of him. It's like having Jesus Christ live with us all the time. I sometimes fear for evangelicalism in the West today, because we know all the right things, but it's as if Christ is standing outside. The church in Laodicea was like that. And Jesus said to them, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. That's what we need. Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you need Jesus Christ to save you. Oh, call on him. Ask him. Be honest with him. Put your trust in him. Follow him. If we have done that, don't we need him even more to visit us? By his spirits. To send some fire 
you know, fire. That's, that's what the churches are experiencing in many parts of the world. But aren't we too comfortable here in the West? We want the fire. You know, tomorrow's a significant date. Not just because it's Bob Dylan's 80th birthday, but because something happened on May 24, a few centuries before, 1738. Do you know what I'm referring to? We've already sung one of his hymns. It wasn't Charles Wesley, but the brother John. John had been seeking Jesus Christ. He'd probably come to believe in him already. He'd had it explained to him by Pete Bowler, a Moravian pastor, how he could be saved, that he didn't have to work his way to heaven, that Jesus Christ had done it on the cross, and he believed in that. But Wesley wanted more than that. He wanted to know in his heart Jesus Christ. And so he went to a meeting in Aldersgate Street in London. It's not far from St. Paul's Cathedral. And somebody was reading, not from the Bible, I love this, but from a commentary on the Bible. It was one of Luther's commentary. And he wasn't even reading from the main body of the commentary. He was reading from the preface, which is the introduction. Isn't that amazing? And as he was doing that, something happened in Wesley's heart, and he wrote it down. I felt my heart strangely, that means supernaturally, warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. From that moment, he could not help but preach Christ in the power of the spirits. He couldn't help it. Do you know what Wesley became after that? Uh, Wesley was a stiff, upper lip kind of person. We heard about that's on Wednesday night. That, that was Wesley's temperament. When his friend George Whitfield started preaching in the open air, Wesley said to him, I can't do that. That's not proper. But as soon as Wesley had this experience of Christ in his heart, do you know what he did? He said to Whitfield, yes, I'll join you. Because he couldn't help it now. Christ was so real to him that he had to stand wherever he could and tell people about him. And you know, Wesley travelled thousands and thousands and thousands of miles, well into his 80s, because the power of the Spirit was upon him. These two, as soon as they realised Christ had appeared to them, do you know what they did? It was the middle of the night. Do you know what they did? They didn't go to bed. How could they go to bed? They were no longer depressed. They certainly weren't disillusioned anymore. What did they do? So they rose that very hour, verse 33, and returned to Jerusalem. Have you been to Jerusalem? Do you know Jerusalem is built on a hill? If you travel from the west, where Emmaus would have been, to Jerusalem, you go up a hill. And those two, when they walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus, even though they were walking downhill, which is easy, they were probably shuffling their feet. They were walking slowly. But now, filled with the Spirit of Christ, their hearts burning with love to this Savior who had loved them and gave himself for them, what did they do? 
even if they were physically tired, they certainly weren't spiritually tired. They had been made alive, and they ran. I'm sure they ran uphill to Jerusalem. And they were people with a message. And what was their message? Their message was simple. The Lord is risen indeed. Have we got that message? It doesn't matter what the obstacles may be. It doesn't matter if we have to go uphill. If we have the Spirit of Christ, He will give us hinds feet. Give me people with a message. That's what we need. Reality. To have Jesus Christ manifest himself to us. Well, I've got to stop there. We're COVID aware and I've gone over time. Forgive me. But may Jesus Christ draw near to us. And may we know our hearts on fire for his namesake.